0: Welcome back to Prospects 101, the show where we break down football prospects from all levels. High school prospects, college transfers, college recruiting, and NFL prospects, and the NFL draft. As always, Prospects 101 is brought to you by our great partners of the show, Blue Wire Pods. And you can follow and interact with the show at prospects 101 Pod on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just a two-man show today, me, Kenny Keller, and my other co-host,
1: Brandon Pastel. What's up, dude? What's going on, man? I'm excited. We were talking, you know, obviously a little before the show, and you mentioned uh, you were at the whiskey bar a little bit ago, and you got an old-fashioned, and as you were talking about that, man, I just couldn't help but think, man, like how good that would taste right now. And this whole time, I thought old fashioned were just whiskey with some orange juice. And you decided to culture myself and teach myself what a what a real old fashioned actually is. Well, and that <laughs>
0: surprises me that you weren't exactly sure what an old fashioned is because you're the whiskey drinker. Like I'm not a whiskey I am. guy. I, I, yeah, I'm not a whiskey. I'm a vodka guy. But I but I, if I do drink whiskey or bourbon, uh, you know, I like a, a old fashioned. That's kind of my 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 drink of choice.
1: Yeah, dude, I mean, I, I appreciate it, but I think the thing with whiskey, at least for me, it's the one liquor that I like to drink almost straight now, because like, I, I appreciate the taste of good whiskey, where I think vodka and a lot of these other drinks, I'd rather just mix it, throw some Coke in there, good mixer, but I might have to try the old-fashioned, man, Sound, sounds good. Well, Dude, when you get
0: back into town... Uh, whenever that might be, we'll take a trip over to uh, that whiskey bar that they just built and and because it's awesome, man. It's really cool. And they have, like, a bunch of craft beers there too. It's not just whiskey. I mean, they've got other stuff, but there's, like – they've got, like, a cabinet full of whiskey that they have to get on a ladder to get to the top of, and, like, that's, like, the top. And you're right, though. Like, there is a major difference between top-shelf whiskey and bottom-shelf whiskey, where I feel like the Delta – isn't as big, maybe with tequila, the Delta's a bit like whiskey. I think tequila and whiskey mm-hmm. are kind of that, that big delta of like really good or really bad, but everything else kind of has a, a, a gray area where it's like, ah, oh, it's, you know, it's not bad, it's not great, but I can drink it. Where like I feel like whiskey and tequila, it, you, if you're, you, I mean, you have to drink top shelf at this point. If you have disposable income, like you have to drink top <laughs> shelf
1: whiskey or, or tequila. Dude, the, the day I knew I grew up or became the man, was when I got away from Evan Williams and at least went to Jack Daniels. Now, I've progressed <laughs> a little bit more since then, but that was the day. I knew it. And I tell you what, we will definitely be celebrating, I'm sure, with a glass of whiskey once Jacksonville picks most likely Trevor Lawrence at number one and hopefully the Bengals. Now, with the trade news, uh, we'll probably have the top selection of the non-quarterback in the draft. So we'll definitely celebrate with a glass of hopefully at that point.
0: Yeah, and, and that's a good transition, Pastel. Why don't you go ahead and break that down for our listeners of the big trade news that happened yesterday and the implications of that news?
1: Yeah, so Adam Schefter uh, decided to break the news during Zach Wilson's pro day yesterday while all the GMs, all the coaches were there just getting ready to watch him whip the ball around the stadium. And when I say stadium, it was the entire stadium because how far he throw go with football. But the news was, the Dolphins traded the third overall pick with the 49ers. And so what the final trade was, Dolphins traded the third, and they received the 12th pick of this year's draft, the 2022 first-round pick, and a 2023 first-round pick, and I believe a third-round pick as well in mm-hmm. 2022. And then they flipped the 12th pick with the Philadelphia Eagles and sent the 12th pick. So the, now the Eagles are drafting 12th overall. And the Miami Dolphins are now jumping back into the top six, taking the Philadelphia Eagles spot. And they traded that 2022 first-rounder to jump back into the six. So now that leaves the Eagles with at least two first-round picks next year. And if Carson Wentz plays at least 73% of the uh, downs next year, then the Eagles get that uh, that pick from the Eagles. Sorry, the, uh, yeah, the Eagles get the pick from the Colts. And the Eagles will have three first-round picks next year, assuming Carson Wentz can stay healthy. So tons of draft capital for the Eagles. A home run for the Dolphins because they were going to pick most likely Jamar Chase or Sewell or Kyle Pitts anyways at three. And they're still going to get one of those three players at six because assuming that there's going to be at least three quarterbacks, one through three, that's almost guaranteed at this point. And there's a good possibility that the Falcons trade out or pick a quarterback at number four. So that leaves really the first non-quarterback to get drafted at number five, which leaves the Miami Dolphins with whoever they pretty much want at number six. So they pretty much got a first-round pick, and they were going to pick probably the same player at number six as they were at number three. So home run for the Dolphins, home run for the Eagles, who needs the draft capital. And you know Mm -hmm. what? Kyle Shanahan will most likely get the quarterback of his future at number three. The question, Kenny, I have for you is who is that quarterback? (laughs) Dude, so – Okay, so I think
0: everybody who listens to this podcast know I have Justin Fields as my number two quarterback. I think he's QA and Zach Wilson is 2B. Me personally, I like Justin Fields a little more. But so let's, for argument's sake, Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one. Let's say it sounds to me like all reports that Zach Wilson is probably going to go number two to the Jets. So now that leaves San Francisco mm-hmm. to choose between Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. And there's a lot of rumors saying that apparently the 49ers are very high on Mac Jones. I don't see them picking Mac Jones at three. I don't think they would have traded up to three to take Mac Jones personally. Um, At least not that far of a jump. Like why not just trade with Philadelphia at six? Because I felt like he would have still been there at six. So to me, that leaves Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Call me crazy, but I think Kyle Shanahan is going to take Trey Lance at three. And this is why wow. I think that. this is why I think that this is why I think that I think they're going to I think they're OK with letting Jimmy G start another year. I think they're they're, they're confident okay. enough that because they got to the Super Bowl with them. I think they're confident enough to at least give him one more year before they decide to move on with them. And it's perfect because that allows Trey Lance to pull a Jimmy G and sit for a year because we, we all talk about how we don't think he's quite ready to start right away. This could be a Mahomes right. situation where he's sitting behind Jimmy G for a year, and then he takes the reins next year with a very veteran and very good roster out in San Francisco. Like if there's a spot for him to go, this is a good spot for him to go. And I and and we know what Kyle Shanahan did with RG three his rookie year. Trey Lance isn't quite the athlete RG three is, but they are very similar games. They can they they are they're very natural runners. They're good throwers who are a little unpolished, and they need a little bit of polish. And I think Kyle Shanahan has shown what he can do with a lethal dual-threat quarterback in a healthy RG3 his rookie year. So I think we see him go and take Trey Lance at number three. I just – for some reason, I think that's why they moved up to three. I really do.
1: It's either Lance can, or Kenny, he... though. That's the pick. Yeah, no, I agree. And Kenny. He... Are, are we overcomplicating this? Are we going to look back on this draft and be like, "Why didn't they tr- choose Justin Fields? Justin Fields was always the clear-cut number two and potential number one pick if it was any other year outside of Trevor Lawrence." Like, are we overthinking this at this point? We're we, like, he is by far, he should be the pick here. He should be the third quarterback pick, hundred percent, in this draft, right? Like, uh, I don't know. 100%. I mean, I agree. I agree. The uh, intrigue is there with with uh, with Trey Lance and. I won't be shocked if they do pick them because everything you just said makes a thousand percent. And the upside with them is through the roof. But the upside with Justin Fields is through the roof. And we had a poll we put on our Twitter account at prospects one oh one pod prospects one oh one pod on Twitter. And I think it was close to fifty eight percent of the fans had Justin Fields going to the Atlanta Falcons. So I think the fan base out there believes it's gonna be Justin Fields as well, but I won't be shocked, Kenny. I mean, I agree with you. I think Trey Lance definitely has a vote for that, uh, for that spot.
0: Just call me crazy. It just feels like for some, Trey Lance has been linked to the 49ers for a while anyway, at 12. It just feels to me like that's the move they're making. Maybe after Trey Lance's pro day that this was, you know, his stock in in, inside the general manager's inner circles, all of a sudden has risen a lot. I don't know. I just, for me, it just feels like they're going to take Trey Lance. However, Disclaimer, like I said, I he tra- Justin Fields is my number two quarterback in this draft. So, for me, if I was the GM of the 49ers and I traded up to three, it would be to take Justin Fields. But for some reason, I just have this weird feeling
1: that that's not the case. Well, it's funny you say pro day because that makes sense. Like, just or Justin Fields hasn't had his pro day yet. So, only Matt mm-hmm. Jones has had his pro day and same with Trey Lance. So, if you're going to make a move like this, I would assume – you know who you're going to pick, and if it was going to be Justin Fields, I would have thought they would have waited and still was Pro Day to make this move. So, it, it, you know, once you read through the between the lines, maybe it, it is pulling a little bit more tor- towards uh, Trey Lance.
0: By the way, our, our co-host, Brandon Gluster, is going to be listening to this, and he's going to probably throw his phone out the window with us
1: talking about Trey Lance going number three. Number three. He, he doesn't think he should be a first-round pick, which is hilarious. It's crazy to me. Yeah, it's,
0: it's, it, it's, hey. it, it's wild though, man. I, no, I'm glad to be, no. look, I'm glad we're getting some, I'm glad we're getting some trades this early in the process. Cause normally it, it does take a little bit of hype out of the first round. Cause you always like to see those trades and, and, and everybody freaks out when the trades are made during the draft. Cause the clock doesn't reset. Like if, if they make it with five minutes left, and they've got five minutes to make their pick. So it's all this chaos that we love with the draft, but you know what? I, I, um, I like that we're getting it done a little early because now it gives us more of a chance to have accurate mock drafts and, and and just you know go ahead and I guess you know speculate a little more than we normally would. So it's cool. I'm glad we get to see. But I think I think Miami wins the trade. Um, you know, like you said, I, I they were going to pick either Chase Sewell or Pitts at three. And now we're pretty much guaranteed the top three players are going to be quarterbacks. And even if the Falcons, say the Falcons took Kyle Pitts and the Bengals took Penny Sewell, you still have Jamar Chase at six. Like one of those three, no matter how the how the top three shake out quarterback-wise, are going to fall them at six. So it was a genius move by the Dolphins. They're definitely the winners of that.
1: I think everyone was thinking, uh, what's the movie with the Cleveland Browns and Kevin Costner? Is it Draft Day, right? Draft Day, yeah. That's pretty much what happened here with the Dolphins before, but it was before the draft. They traded it right. back. Everyone's like, What are they doing? And then they traded it forward. And then they got another first round pick out of it. And they're going to pick the same player they had at three. <laughs> just, they just pulled a Kevin Cosner, man. <laughs> maybe Kevin Cosner's the new GM of the Dolphins. Yeah, maybe.
0: Well, we know of our, about old, up,
1: uh, our old. Co- oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I said, We know our old co host from XFL Chalk Talk, uh, Riley Bradshaw. He's going to be thrilled with this news of Miami uh, going to six and picking up an extra first round pick for sure.
0: Yeah, oh, I know he's he's been super juiced about it through text. But look, I, look, we were talking about kind of want to pivot back to pro days. We were talking about Trey Lance's pro day and then obviously we were talking Justin Fields still has yet to have his pro day. You know who did have a pro day this weekend was Penn State football. And my goodness, dude, are they churning out absolute monsters on defense. Like that was absolutely impressive. Micah Parsons, Jason Owa both had huge pro days. Why don't you fill us in on some of the results of those pro days, Pastel?
1: When I saw this when I saw the their stat lines coming through uh Twitter, Instagram, and all these other social media outlets, I started thinking like this is like the monsters of palace football, right? Like these guys are physical freaks. So like Micah Parsons, he uh, his height he got measured in at six foot three at two hundred and forty-six pounds. So pretty big linebacker, middle linebacker for that sake. And guess how fast he ran? A four three nine. Like I don't remember any middle linebacker at six three, almost two fifty running a four three nine. And also by the way, has eleven inch hands. Like by far the biggest hands probably in all the middle linebackers. I mean, yeah, he got rated in the 100th percentile, so he's gonna be able to get his hands on jerseys, make tackles all over the the field, get his hands on balls. So like, this dude's a stud. And then you look at and so right when you think you can't top that, you go down to their edge rusher Jason Owell, and he's six foot five, two hundred and fifty seven pounds, so almost two hundred and sixty pounds, and he runs a, a four three seven, <laughs> like he's faster. Then Micah Parsons. And I remember the coach coming out before the pro day. He's like, Don't be shocked if Jason runs faster than Micah Parsons. And of course Micah Parsons is like, no way. And he goes out there and does it at two two inches higher and about twenty or yeah, fifteen pounds heavier. Goes out there and just blows their pro day through the roof. He also had a broad jump of one thirty four, which is better than any other edge defender so far in all their pro days. I mean 21 bench reps, which is good for an edge defender. Uh, and that's Jason Ola, of course. And um, I don't know. These guys are freaks. So they're the Stars of college football, Kenny. It, it, it's crazy, man. I mean, it, it goes to show you that it, it shouldn't be a surprise
0: that Penn State and, or James Franklin has turned around Penn State as fast as he has. I know they kind of had a weird season last year, whatever. I'm going to chalk that up to just college football and all sports being weird in 2020 with everything that's been going on. But – Look, I mean, Penn State's arguably been the second best team in the Big Ten behind Ohio State, and they've just been on the—they've been nipping at the heels of Ohio State, and this is why. I mean, everybody knows I'm a I'm a Micah Parsons fanboy. I don't think it's any surprise when I'm gushing over what he did. But look, I I, I compared him a couple months ago when on this show to a better, athlete, more athletic Patrick Willis, and look at Patrick Willis's pro day. He you know, measured in at six one, two hundred and forty two pounds. He ran a four-five-six, and you know had a three-cone drill of seven-point-two-three and a short shuttle of four-four-six. Which every single thing Micah Parsons did in his pro day was faster and better. And he's bigger. I, I'm telling you, dude. I think Micah Parsons is going to go down as one of the best middle linebackers. And even if you look at Luke Keekley's pro day or in his combine results, they were he was faster than Keekley. The only thing Keekley beat him in, he was two tenths of a second faster on the three-cone drill. That was it. Everything else, everything else, Micah Parsons did better. So, I mean, you think of the two best middle linebackers we've seen in the game probably the last decade, decade and a half with Patrick Wilson, Luke Keekly, Micah Parsons has every bit the opportunity to be just as good because not only is he more athletic, but he's just as productive as those guys were in college. He's just, he has that nose for the football like those guys have. So, I I mean, I'm telling you, I think Micah Parsons is going to be, you're going to hear it here first. He is a hall of fame caliber linebacker. I'm telling you, I'm telling (laughs) you, man, I'm so high on Micah Parsons. It's unbelievable. Um, Jason Owa, you know, he's a physical freak. Yeah, you know, a 439 for a guy that size 65 is just absolutely unbelievable the broad jump he was in the 100 percentile as well which is that's more impressive to me than the 40 you know 40s as mm-hmm. an edge rusher yeah it's cool I guess it kind of shows your explosiveness a little bit but they don't ever you I'm more concerned about their initial explosiveness which is what the broad jump is about that's That's what's more impressive to me with this guy, and I didn't see that. We were texting offline the other day, and I was like, ah, you know, I'm not really impressed with this 40. That's cool, but for edge rushers, that doesn't really impress me. Like, I'm not that concerned about it. However, his vertical and his broad jump being in the 96th percentile and 100th percentile, that is impressive to me. What is concerning, though, is there's absolutely lack of production in college. You know, I think this will (laughs) help. put him in the middle rounds, you know, I think someone will probably overdraft him based on this, on, on this workout. I don't think I'd touch him before the third, just because man, if you don't put up a sack, I'm sorry. Like, I don't care if it was a abbreviated season or not. You like, you got to have some sort of production. I I think, I don't think I would take him any higher than the third, but you know, the broad and the vertical is impressive. I got
1: to admit, I am impressed with that. I mean, how many pro days have we seen like this? And then the Raiders with the 8th overall pick oh, him. and they were like, this guy was like a third-round pick, we
0: thought. <laughs> Vern, Vern, or someone like Vernon Golston going to the Jets, and he was nothing
1: but a workout warrior. Oh my goodness. But but yeah, I mean, this guy's production isn't that isn't there, but any coach in the, in the draft is going to be like, get, get my defensive line coach hands on this guy, and they're going to be okay. <laughs> well,
0: and look, at the end of the day, man, you want athletes. Like... You know, you can can scheme as much as possible and be a great coach. But at the end of the day, if your athletes are better than their athletes, you're going to win probably nine times out of ten, eight times out of ten. You want athletes who can just get out there and create mismatches. And this Oa Oa and Parsons are two guys who can do that. Now, speaking of of beast pro days, Alabama, A, has two pro days, which is ridiculously insane. They had one – uh recently and mac jones was kind of stole the show with his 40 and they had some other things going on Najee harris really didn't run he was just kind of there to support his team but they have a second pro day like like Najee harris is going to participate in the second pro day you've got devonta smith dylan moses jalen wiles still to go you you guys like alex leatherwood in this pro day so that's a ridiculous but uh, of the pro days that have happened recently do you have any that stand out to you Pastel? any any players um in the past week or so that have had their pro day that have jumped off the page to you. Good or bad? I mean
1: Yeah, let's let's just start it off the bat with Zach Wilson. So this happened on the twenty-sixth of March, I believe, where Zach Wilson went out there and pretty much every scout or every scout, every GM, every coach was there to watch him, put on a show. And he had some other guys, I believe, like Dax Mill out there who's gonna be a probably, you know, a, a day three pick, fifth to sixth round uh, wide receiver, but Zach Wilson was out there. And he was throwing balls off the back of his foot, 55 to 60 yards, on a dime. It was unbelievable. And everyone saw it from the season. And we almost expected this with him being in shorts, to just be whipping that ball around. Mm -hmm. He was throwing it so hard, he made his receivers look bad. His receivers were dropping balls left and right, and it wasn't because of the location of the ball. Uh, So, one, it probably didn't help, you know, Dax Mill and a couple other guys. I think Bushman is the tight end there. Didn't help their stock too much, but for Zach Wilson, you got to love this kid's arm talent. And now I know people compare him to Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and all that, and that's far fetched. I get that. But no one thought Aaron Rodgers was going to be Aaron Rodgers coming into the draft. Hence why I got drafted in the 20th. And no one thought Patrick Mahomes was Patrick Mahomes coming into the draft, or else he would have been the first overall pick. Bottom line is, Zach Wilson has that type of arm talent. Now, if he has, I don't I'm not sure about, you know, between the ears or how he can read a defense and, Progress through his reads and everything, but from an arm talent standpoint, he is up there with one of the best we have ever seen coming into the draft. And I'm talking arm talents like, you know, even like Josh Allen, everyone knew the guy had a cannon for an arm. It was just everything else. And he developed into a very nice quarterback. So Zach Wilson absolutely stole the show. Uh, he was a little shorter. I thought he was co- going to measure in closer to six, three, six, three and a half. He measured in at six two. So a little shorter, but nothing, nothing to worry about 215 pounds. So. His measurables are still there. He didn't run the 40, even though a lot of people thought he would have done well because he was a former basketball player. But overall, Zach Wilson sold the show. If the Jets had any questions about Sam Darnold, it's not necessarily questions about Sam Darnold. It's just like you have the answer in Zach Wilson. So Mm -hmm. I think they were sold yesterday with picking number two, Zach Wilson.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Uh, You know, like I said, I – I don't want to keep beating a dead horse. I think Fields. If I was number two, I'd pick him. But Zach Wilson. I mean, we have three quarterbacks in this draft who would probably go number one uh, in every other draft they were in, if they were all in separate drafts. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence will go number one this draft. Zach Wilson would go number one in the other draft, and Justin Fields would probably go number. And honestly, who knows, dude? Trey Lance might go number one in a in a different draft as well, if he wasn't, you know, if he didn't have to opt out, or if the FCS didn't opt out of their whole season. So, I mean, there literally could be four right. number one quarterbacks in this draft. But Zach Wilson, man, his arm is just electric. Like, that's – like, you have guys like Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence has a rocket. But it's more of like this smooth delivery. Like, the ball just kind of glides out and it's there. It's, he can make every throw. But Wilson kind of has this short, compact, like, violent – almost – and it's not bad mechanics. I don't mean violent in a negative way. Like, he has this violent Mm -hmm. arm action, and the ball just shoots at it. Like, we've seen guys like Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes, but even they kind of have, like, these smoother type delivery. Mahomes obviously has these weird, funky throws he can make, but, man, Wilson just – I haven't seen a ball shoot out of a hand like that since Brett Barr. Like, it's just these – he's just got this weird – like, it goes from 0 to 100 – in the blink of an eye, it's really impressive. Uh, and I was really impressed with this pro day. Another guy, and I got a, you know, I got it, you know, I've got to mark out with this guy, Rondell Moore. Man, I oh, was yeah, so go for pumped when he ran a sub four three. He ran a four two nine, which was in the 98th percentile of forty so far. His vertical was forty two and a half, which was in the ninety nine percentile. He rep twenty four reps on the bench press, which was ninety nine percentile, and his three cone drill was six six eight in the 92nd percentile, everything he did athletically was elite, which doesn't surprise me. I've been screaming this from the top of every mountaintop the past year and a half. I feel like this guy is an incredible athlete. I, I think as long as he can stay healthy, which is a legitimate question mark, he's had some soft tissue injuries. I get that. I, I think you get this guy 15 touches a game from anywhere, the slot from the X position. From in the backfield, whatever you have to do to get this the ball in this guy's hands, do so. It, it, you're going to get creative. Obviously, he measured in at 5'7", 180. Not an ideal height for a wide receiver, but he's not a traditional wide receiver. He's an offensive weapon. Just get the right. ball in space in this guy's hands, and he will do damage. This is a guy I think when you look at the end of the season, for you fantasy football guys out there, with the end of the year, he's going to have, like, 600 yards rushing and, like, 800, 900 yards receiving. He's going to have, you know, 15, 16 total, total yards from scrimmage with, like, 10 touchdowns, 11 touchdowns. He's just going to be an absolute force, man. And I think he did everything to prove that he's the athletic freak that we all expect him to be.
1: Oh, yeah. And he's one of those guys that you just hope he gets to the right offensive Game. Like you hope he goes to the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan can get his hands on him, or he goes to the Packers and you know Aaron Rodgers can throw the football to him because he's going to be dynamite if he's in the right offense. But speaking of dynamite, man, another guy, Travis Etienne. I think a lot of people started to like fall off on his stock, thinking you know Najee Harris, number one running back. There's a couple other guys fighting for that number two with Travis Etienne because they didn't think that he was that fast. He goes out on Clemson's pro day and runs a 4.41 in the 87th percentile. I think that did a, a number for his stock, just to prove that, that he is that fast. He showed this past season he can receive out of the backfield, which is a huge knock against him coming into the year. Uh, he's 215 pounds. He's a well-built back. He's he's 5'10", 215, Runs a four four forty. It's pretty much if you were design a guy in Madden, this is a running back that yeah. you want. And he also had a broad jump in the ninety third percentile at one at one twenty eight. So. He's strong. He's explosive. He had the times that he needed to have to maintain, at least, that number two spot at running back. So I think it's a two-headed horse, when it comes to running backs in the draft, it's going to be Najee Harris, number one, Travis Etienne, number two. And then it's pretty much everybody else. And I think Travis Etienne on his pro day solidified that number two spot uh, coming into the draft. Yeah, I think that's
0: fair. I I wouldn't disagree with that. I think, you know, he showed his measurables and why he was so successful at Clemson. Obviously this year was kind of a down year for him. And I'm saying down with quotations because he still had a pretty decent year. He just didn't have the kind of year he had the first three years in college. And that could be for a litany of things. Who knows? I mean, it could have been the defense keying off on some things or the offensive line just wasn't playing as well as, as they had prior, but I agree. I think he's solidified his number two spot behind Harris. I think Harris is a clear number one and Etienne's a clear number two. Now I want to touch on two guys who I thought were, who might be the two biggest freaks on the offensive and defensive line? One was Samuel Cosmi, out of Texas offensive tackle. Came in at 6'6, 314, which shows that he's got a little bit of, of weight he could probably put on, to be honest. At 6'6, you know, it's weird to say, but 314 is not maxed out on that frame. He had 33 inch arms. He had a vertical of 30 inches and a broad jump of 117, which was in the ninety-eight percentile. And he benched, he benched 36 reps. Wow, you know, for uh, for a guy that big, look for a guy who's six, six with thirty three inch arms, thirty six reps is not easy. Like those guys tend to the guys who tend to rep out those big amount of reps at two. This is at two hundred twenty five pounds, by the way. Thirty are usually smaller guys with smaller arms because they don't have to extend out as far. So for him to do that at, at six six is incredible. I think that I mean, that's a guy he can who can use. That's a guy who's going to use be able to use one arm. And knock a guy sideways, like that kind that kind of strength. So he's going to really be able mm-hmm. to strong arm and one arm defensive lineman. And look, he had a really good short shuttle too at four three nine in the ninety eight percentile and a good three cone, which was in the ninety four percentile. It means he's agile. It means he's athletic. It means he can pull if he needs to. It means he can get down the line. He can get out in space on, on those screen plays and really get down the field. I I know I talk a lot about not. not caring a lot about 40 times and stuff like that when it comes to edge rushers. However, when we're talking about offensive linemen, yes, it's not the most important thing, but it's important for him to be athletic because now, you know, you can get that outside zone game. You can get them to pull, you can get his steps in and he's going to be able to, to get out into that second level and really get down the field and help block for these longer, these longer running plays, these stretch plays. I think he did a world of help for his, uh, stock, and then a defensive lineman who really stood out to me was Jalen Twyman. We obviously knew he was a shorter guy; he's only six one, but he's three hundred pounds, so he's got he's a, he's a fit dude. He's a squat individual, but six one, you know, kind of makes you nervous, especially for an interior defensive lineman. Where I'm not concerned is he a he showed he's got long arms, thirty two and, and an eighth. Uh, I'm sorry, he's got shorter arms. My apologies, but then his bench press. Is 40 reps at 225. He's got, he's an absolute ball of muscle, which is what you want to see for these undersized guys. You want to see that these guys are going to be able to get off their blocks and use their leverage and being strong and really having elite strength with 40 reps is a big. Is a big telltale sign that he's going to be able to do that, which has always been his strength. You know, we talked about this before the season passed. Though. I know you were really high on Twyman. Is he's great at using his leverage, and he's really good at bull rushing from the interior. And it just shows, it reemphasizes that he's a just an absolute stud from a physical standpoint by repping forty reps at two
1: twenty five. Oh yeah, you know who else kind of measuring a little bit small, I guess on the smaller end is Rochelle and Slater. You know the mm-hmm. probably the top offensive guard tackle combo. Not a lot of people knew what he was going to be coming into the NFL draft. I think personally, especially based off these measurables, that he is a guard. And it sucks because you know as a Bengals fan, we're talking about you know the fifth overall pick, and a lot of people had Rashawn Slater possibly going to the Bengals at number five. But I don't know, man. I mean, he's only three hundred and four pounds, so he's a he's a hair over three hundred pounds. He's six foot four, which Is okay, but when you really look at offensive tackles, and if you're talking top 10 pick, you're not picking a guard, you know, in top 10, you're picking an offensive tackle. And I don't know if a six foot four, 300 pound offensive tackle is really what you want. And his arm length was only 33 inches. Again, good player, great player, is going to be a a long long time starter in this league. But when we start talking about a top 10, top 15 pick, I don't think this pro day helped out Rashawn Slater purely from a height, weight, arm length standpoint. Now, he tested well as far as his bench reps, 33 bench reps. You know, that's pretty strong. He had a 40 in the 488, which is faster than, you know, a couple of safeties out there, a la Paris <laughs> Ford. I don't know what the heck that was that he ran. But, I mean, he's he's fast agile. Again, that's why I think he's going to be a guard in the NFL. But he's definitely not a tackle, at least not in, not a first-round tackle, in my opinion. But, Kenny, I, I agree. Paris, Paris Ford, what, what the heck? Dude, <laughs> what do you mean four him, nine?
0: Him and Richard LeCount were two safeties that just—I uh, mean—Paris Ford ran a four nine, and LeCount ran a four eight three. And you know, Paris Ford's obviously safety from Pittsburgh. LeCount, safety from Georgia. I don't know if they were hurt. I know LeCount really hasn't been healthy since he got in that motorcycle accident halfway through the season. But he did play, I think, in the Sugar Bowl, or he at least had been practicing leading up to the Sugar Bowl. And then Ford, I know, had kind of. Had some injuries and he ended up opting out. But if they were injured or not 100 percent healthy, I don't know why they ran. I mean, yeah, just, don't run, <laughs> dude. A four nine, and a four eight three at, at the safety position. I mean, almost drops you to undraftable territory.
1: It, it, yes, I, I don't know if you draft yeah. a guy like Paris Ford, especially in a in a deep safety class. Why Why would you draft a guy that's four foot nine or that ran a four nine? In such a deep safety class, too, like that is red flags all over the place. Not to mention, people had time to prepare for this 40. So, if he knew he was not the fastest guy, he had almost seven months because he opted out to prepare for the 40. So, either this is lack of preparation or this is just overall lack of athletic ability. So, this is not a good day for Perry Ford or LeCal.
0: Highly concerning. They definitely lost a lot of money on their pro day. And I'm hope I don't ever hope anybody's injured, but I'm hoping that this was some sort of injury or something that was known to the scouts prior to running, and they just wanted to see him run, um, hopefully. But I, it's just – it's not good. Speaking of safeties, Pastor, what were your thoughts on the two TCU
1: safeties pro days? Well, I'll tell you this. On tape, they're, they're the best safety tandem in college football. And I don't even know if that's – argued. you can't argue that, in my opinion. Trevon mm-hmm. moe is is, in my opinion, the best safety coming into the draft he did well for his pro day overall. Now he ran a four five flat forty, which I think for a safety that's six foot one, over two hundred pounds. That that's pretty that's good. Fine, that's that's yeah. what I expect. Right. No red flags, nothing that's mind blowing. He's not running four fours or anything like that. But I think his stock is secure as far as you know that top group of safeties, if not the top safety, and possibly the only safety to get drafted in the first round coming up. He had thirty uh three bench reps, which is unbelievable by the way i mean that was the number one for all safeties so he's strong he's strong he's Strong he's boy fast his his uh, sh- short shuttle was 4.19 which is about average for a safety but overall he had a good pro day nothing to cause uh concern over him but a darius washington i knew he was short i didn't know he was 5 8 short and i didn't know he was only a buck 75 like he's not very big he's small and then for a guy like that, I'm like, all right, well, maybe he runs a 4, 440, something to make up for his lack of height and everything. And then he goes out and runs a 4, 6-1. So he's not even that fast. He's not slow, but I mean, he's not Paris Ford slow, at least. He's average speed, below average height, below average weight, really below average strength for the most part. And his three-cone drill was 7.06, which was not very good at all. So Again, either lack of preparation on his part, or he just doesn't have it in his athletic ability. So, Adarius Washington, I think he lost maybe a round or two on his lap, which I thought was going to be a third-round pick. I think now you can look at more of a fourth, possibly fifth-round pick, because on tape he's still a very good safety. So I think somebody's gonna, you know, they're gonna try him out. But I, I just I have concern over his height and his weight at this point. Yeah, in, in the world of NFL football, if you're 5'8", 178
0: pounds, you better be an athletic freak. And to just come out there and and not show a lot of good times on your pro day and showing that you don't have the athleticism to maybe play at the next level is very, very concerning. So I think you might even be too high with a fifth-round grade, man. I think he's going to end up falling in the sixth, seventh round. I mean, you, just, you don't see really many 5'8", defensive backs that don't run like four twos or four threes in the NFL. Like, and, and I'm concerned. He just doesn't have a position. Maybe he, maybe he's a special teams guy, but I know at safety, like if you're going to have slow guys back there, you know, most of the time they're six, one, six, two, and they lay up that they, they intimidate people over the middle. But this guy, I just, I don't know, man. I'm concerned. I think he gets drafted, but I don't think I see him anywhere higher than six or seven. It, yeah. it, it is it is
1: how, it is concerning yeah now let's let's transition speaking of you know the defensive backfield let's talk about guys that are six foot to six foot two all running below four four40s let's talk about the battle for the top corner in the upcoming draft now i got four people i want you to kind of help me pick who you think is the top corner i have jc horn who is six foot run six foot one ran a four three nine 40. I have Greg Newsome, who is six foot, ran a 43740. I've got, of course, Patrick Sertan Jr., who is six foot two, a bigger corner, but showed his speed by running a 442. And then, of course, I got Caleb Farley, who did not participate in the combine due to having surgery on a micro-dissectomy uh, uh, on his lower back procedure. I think it's a, a, a disc that he had uh, surgery on. Again, all accounts, not a major surgery, but still it's a back issue, which is always a concern. Especially when you're talking about corners. So, out of those four guys, Kenny, who is your top corner coming into the draft? Uh, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm gonna. He's been my top corner since we've started covering, uh, since we started prospects 101, and that's Patrick Sertan. Uh, I think he's the best corner. He's got the, he's got the highest floor. He doesn't have the highest ceiling. Uh, you know, I've been on record saying Caleb Barley. Has the higher ceiling just because he's a former wide receiver? He hasn't been a corner very long, and he's uber athletic. Um, but I, I, think it's Sertan. I think, I think he's a top ten pick. I don't, I don't think he's a top five pick, but I, I would feel comfortable drafting him six through ten. Um, you know, he's got he's got good lineage. His dad obviously played for a long time in the NFL. He seems to play a lot like his dad. He's got great size. He's six two two ten. He, he, he can tackle, he's physical, he's got great athleticism, he ran a four four two. 4 uh, he had a good vertical at his pro day, he had a good broad jump, uh, you know, he's got good sized hands, so he's going to be able to deflect a lot of balls, um, you know, he's not going to have issues, you know, grasping the football or having soft, or not having good hands, big enough hands to make a lot of interceptions at the next level, I think he's the number one guy, I think Caleb Farley's probably number two, uh, you know, honestly, I really like Greg Newsom as my third. Um, really, I, I like the way he played, man. A lot of people, when if you go back and watch that Northwestern Ohio State Big Ten Championship yeah. game, the you know those corners were a big reason why they were able to hold Ohio State to really probably their lowest offensive. Out, I think it was their lowest offensive output all year, and really they, they uh, Justin Fields looked completely average in that game, and it wasn't really because of pass rush. It was because those corners were out on an island. Locking up guys like Garrett Wilson, locking up guys like Chris Alave. Oh no, sorry, Alave was out. I'm sorry, he was hurt that game. Um, but Garrett Wilson, he was, they were out there locking up the, that, that potent wide receiver corner. Greg Newsom was a big part of it. He plays good physical man to man corner. And then I have Jace Horn as, as my fourth corner. I think all four of these guys are first round picks, by the way. This is a great year to need a cornerback because I think there's good value to be having. All these guys are probably top 20 picks. Farley's back. Uh, anything back or neck, obviously, is concerning. But you know, I, I'll take what the professionals are saying that this is you know a standard procedure. It's it's not as severe. You hear herniated disc, and it kind of scares you a little bit. But it sounds like this isn't that big of a deal. I do think it's enough to bump him down to number two in most scouts or evaluators' eyes. Because I know him and Patrick Sertan are balanced for number one. But for me, Patrick Sertan's my guy at number one corner.
1: Uh, I'm going to make a bold prediction here, Kenny. First of all, I do love Greg Newsom as, as well. Uh, if you go back to our segments earlier in the year, prospect to watch, I always had Greg Newson up there. I think he's his ball skills are tremendous, and he is always on the hip of every receiver. But my bold prediction, Kenny, as much as I love Caleb Farley, I think J.C. Horn now jumps Caleb Farley for the number two cornerback Ooh. spot uh, in the upcoming draft. I mean, you look at his measurables, Kenny. 6'1", 205, both in the upper 75th to 90 percentile, 19 reps on the bench, which, you know, outdid Patrick Sertan, and he beat him on the 40. So he beat him on strength, beat him on the 40. I mean, his broad jump was 133 in the 96th percentile. I mean, the dude, he he balled out on his pro day. And I just got a feeling, Caleb Farley, I, I know it's not a big procedure, but it's it was close between those four, anyways. And I think a team will probably want something that's not inj- more injury risk. And I think a team will pick JC Horn over Caleb Farley now, which could be incredible value if Caleb Farley uh, does begin to slip in the draft and some team is able to pick him up, you know, in the late teens, early 20s. Could be incredible value. But I think JC Horn is now going to be the second corner uh, picks in this upcoming draft.
0: You know what this is setting up to be like? And this is going to be the ultimate double slap in the face for Gless. And I don't want to pick on him because he's not here. But Gless, uh, you know, I don't, for anybody who doesn't know, we had kind of a – we all got together for New Year's. And Gless made a, a wager with Pastel that Caleb Farley wouldn't be a first-round pick. And
1: uh, Too much old-fashioned.
0: Too, too many old-fashions for Gless that night. But he made it – he made it – he made it, <laughs> He made a wager that he wasn't going to be a first-off pick. You know what this is setting up to be? That Caleb Farley is going to slip a little bit, potentially because of this back surgery. And you just said the magic word, late teens. You know who's sitting there at 19? his favorite football team, Ooh, Washington, football, Washington team, football team. Who needs second <laughs> – I know they just signed William Jackson, but they need secondary help. They, they Their secondary was atrocious last year. And Caleb Farley – Gets picked at yes. nineteen. Not only is he going to to his favorite <laughs> yes. team, but then he's going to have to pay you fifty bucks for his favorite team drafted Caleb Farley.
1: <laughs> oh, I hope so, man. I hope so. Or, I, or even. Go ahead. I was to say, or even, or even better, he keeps falling, and it's like the thirtieth pick, and Gluster decides to double down and bet me like a hundred bucks on this, and then he gets taped by like the thirty-first or thirty-second team. Oh uh. man, this is setting up.
0: It would be incredible, and we're all going to be together. I think, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, we're all going to be together for um, yeah our, our, our NFL draft night for the first round at least. So I'm really, I'm really happy that this is going to all play out, and we got to start. We're going to have to all come up with wagers uh, for the first round to make it really fun for all of us. But speaking uh, of first I, round, I so. speaking of first round, we always have some some small school guys, you know, sometimes slip into there. I don't know if there's anybody that I saw that had a pro day yet from a small school that's going to slip into the first round. But, Pastor, why don't you highlight a couple guys real quick that caught your eye, good or bad, uh, from their pro days that were small school prospects?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't see anybody in the first round when I'm talking uh, I'm talking small school outside of, like, Zach Wilson and, and guys like that uh, and Trey Lance. But small school prospects that you probably haven't heard much about, or have been off the radar or opted out this past year. I think the next – we talked about, you know, Najee Harris being one, Travis hand being the second-best running back. I think you get into that third group between three and five, and maybe a smaller school running back named Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis is a guy that blew up the scene his freshman year. I think he had over 2,000 all-purpose yards, which just goes to show his ability to one – be a pass catching back out of the backfield and to run between the tackles I mean he was just dynamic in every which way and I, I think that's maybe a guy that you can see a team drafting possibly that second day second third round I mean he had a pretty good a good pro day he ran a four four two. he's five eleven, actually a little taller than I thought he'd measure in at so 5 195 he threw up 21 reps on the bench so he's stronger than him, at least what I thought and Really, a stronger running back in general, and again, he ran a four-four-two. So Kenneth Gainwell, good running back. Uh, another guy that we've talked about on the show quite a bit, a FBS or Division One AA uh, corner is Robert Rochelle. Now he's the cornerback out of uh, University of Central Arkansas, and he measured it at five eleven and a half, so pretty good size. He had a four-three-nine forty. Now I knew this guy was going to test well. That this this doesn't surprise me that. He tested well with his vertical jump, his short shuttle, his three cone. That none of that surprises me, but I was a little surprised that he ran a sub four forty. I don't know if he plays that fast on tape, uh, but it still impressed me. So four three nine, Robert Rochelle could be a corner that you know someone like the Patriots always tend to take that no one really heard about, and they're drafting him in the second and third round, and they end up being a Pro Bowl type of corner. So mm-hmm. look for a guy like Robert Rochelle to do that, and then another guy, uh, Demonte Kosi. Speaking of a player that did not help this stock, oh my God, he ran a four seven seven. I know nice. he's a bigger receiver. He's six foot six foot two. He's one ninety-eight, so almost two hundred pounds. But Kenny, a four-seven seven, I know probably half the tight ends ran faster than that. And he doesn't have a tight end build, which means he's stuck out playing wide receiver. And I don't know what this does exactly to his draft stock because he did have pretty good game tape. He put up the numbers in college. But, oof, I, I'm thinking maybe sixth, seventh round now. I mean, I don't know how you draft a guy that runs a four seven, almost four eight forty, in in the in the first two or early stages of the third day. So, those are three guys that I guess I had an eye out for the for the smaller schools. Was, was there a few guys that you had an eye out, Kenny? Yeah, uh, obviously, I think the I think all, all of our fans
0: know that I'm a huge Jarrett Patterson guy, and he's an extremely productive running back from Buffalo. He measured in at five seven, one ninety five. I don't think that was really much of a surprise because the comparison, you know, my I've always given him is that he's very similar to MJD. They have a very similar build, um, you know. He and he did well. He did okay. He, he ran a four five four. I wasn't expecting him to blaze. Um, his shuttle was decent. His, his seven cone was okay. Everything he did was just kind of. Okay. I think what separates Jarrett Patterson is not necessarily his obviously his physical stature but or his measurables. It's that he's just he's such a fluid and natural runner. And that's what I love most about him. Um, you know, again, MJD comparisons, he's not quite the athlete MJD was. I don't foresee Patterson going in the second round like MJD did when he was with the Jaguars. But I see Patterson being a guy who could be – he's probably going to be anywhere from a third to fifth rounder, depending on what a team's looking for out of a running back. But I think he's a guy who could very well do great things at the next level. He's a very natural runner. And I think in the right system with the right coaching staff, they can utilize him very well. But, you know, he had a pretty much – he pretty much was in the 50 percentile for – all his measurables and, and 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 times for the most part. Uh, another guy who stood out to me was Quinn Mieres. He's the interior offensive lineman from the University of Wisconsin Whitewater, and this is the guy who stole the show at the Senior Bowl and everything yeah. he did at the pro day was in the 90th percentile or higher his vertical his broad jump his 40 his short shuttle his three cone was either 90% or higher was or even high 90s i think it's 40 was 99th percentile he's 6'3" 320 he's going to play interior offensive line he can move dudes around he's very athletic as we've seen i i think this i think he he secured himself as a as a top you know he'll he'll be a probably third round pick and he might even slip into the second. He this is a guy you're going to see and you're going to wow from Wisconsin Whitewater. He's that good and you have to be that good to be able to get drafted that high um, from that that level of competition. And then what last guy? And this is really your boy, man, Jonathan Adams Jr. I was surprised he ran a four five nine. I thought he might run a little faster. I was a little disappointed by that. But you also pointed out offline that. There was conflicting results. Like one site had him at a four five five. So, I, some of these small combine, these small pro days, I don't necessarily know how accurate the information is we're getting. So, I'm hoping it was actually a little faster than four five nine. But this is off a of Pro Football Focus, who I like a lot and I think is very, you know, on top of their measurements. But. He ran a four five nine. He measured it at 6'2", 214 He's a bigger guy. He runs great routes. But I think the best thing about him, Pastel, is he's just a natural receiver. He knows how to use his size. He knows how to get up and get after the ball. He can he can out jump corners. He's he's got great ability to adjust mid route or even mid air. He's got a great catch radius. I I just like the way he plays. He's he's probably going to be a guy who's going to go in the fourth or fifth round. But I think he's a guy who brings value to a team as a second or third receiver. You know who he reminds me of, Pastel, to be honest? You know who I think is a very good comparison? Jacksonville's newest receiver, Marvin Jones. Oh, nice. That's who he reminds me of. He doesn't do anything spectacularly, but he just has a nose for catching the football. He has a knack for getting open. And he's never going to be that quintessential number one receiver like a Julio Jones or an A.J. Green or that traditional number one we talk about, a guy who's 6'4", 6'5", 220, 230 and can carry an offense. But he's a guy, you put him in the right system as a second or third receiver in that offense, and you blink and he has 800 yards receiving, 900 yards receiving with seven, eight touchdowns, and he makes some incredible catches. That's the kind of guy I think we're going to see at Jonathan Adams. Did he do anything to really boost his, his, his draft stock and his pro day? Not really, but he didn't do anything to hurt it, in my opinion, either. I think he's, he is what he is. He's going to be that fourth, fifth-round kind of guy.
1: Yeah, I feel like he's going to be one of those guys that is the fourth receiver on your team and, you know, produces like 30 receptions every year for like 400 yards. But so he's going to be in the NFL for 10 years. Just yeah. one of those guys that just hangs around, does well, does what he has to do, always great depth. But you're right. The guy has a nose for the football. He has great body control. He catches the ball at the high point. And his vertical was pretty good. I mean, that was probably his best thing. He had a 39-inch vertical, which was in the 87th percentile. So the guy can jump. And he is a bigger receiver. And I know I saw a stat somewhere. I think it was Pro Football Focus where I think the top five receivers over the last two years, according to, like, their grades and everything, all measured in between, like, six foot and six foot three. So it's an interesting stat that you didn't see anyone smaller uh, or taller for the most part. I think there was one or two outliers, probably like, you know, Tyree Kill. But for the most part, this is the range for height and size, that 6'2", mm-hmm. two, 214 guys range that does well in today's NFL. So I won't be surprised if he has a great NFL career. Nothing spectacular, but a great depth player overall. Yeah. Well, as we
0: march closer and closer, which we are – within a month now of the first round of the NFL. No, sorry. We're a month and two days away from the first round of the NFL draft. It's April 29th. Um, Pastor, why don't you give us as many as, I mean, we could talk on and on and on and on. This is about as condensed as we could get for pro days that have happened so far. But why don't you give us some of the pro days that are coming up that you think uh, our listeners should keep their eye on and which are going to be actually some important ones as well. That could really create some ripple effects
1: uh, from now, between now and the first round of the draft? Yeah, so for on March 30th, is probably one of the, the last big days, I guess, for big time programs, Blue Bloods, they're are having the pro day. So Alabama has their second pro day. So, like we mentioned earlier, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Dylan Moses, and all those guys will participate in that pro day. You have Ohio State, so we should, we should finally be able to see Justin Fields throw the football. You have University of Washington, Texas A and M. All of those schools are going to be on March 30th. On March 31st, some pretty big programs like LSU, Notre Dame. We got Kenny School, Wake Forest, going to show out on the 31st of March. Uh, And then we go into April. There's not too many pro days in April, but but on April 1st, we have Oklahoma State, Oregon State, UCF has a few guys like Richie Grant that I'm excited to see. Minnesota, Rashad Bateman. I think that 40 time is going to be huge for his stock. If mm-hmm. he can run the sub 440 that is reported, I think he could solidify himself into the first rounds, which obviously is going to be a big day for him. And then you go into April 2nd, you got Oregon. It's probably the biggest program on that day. On April 7th, you have Texas Tech. And then you round it out on April 9th. With a few smaller school schools like uh, Houston, Uh, Ball State, Rice, and UAB. UAB, So, really, we should be complete by April 9th. We should have a really great idea of where everyone's going – not everyone's going, but what their measurables are really by the 1st of April. So, that's what – you got something to look for. A few more pro days left, obviously, with some implications on the upcoming draft, which I believe is the 29th of April. So, it's going to be a fun month. I miss the combine.
0: I know I get why they didn't have it, and I'm okay with it. But I really want the combine back next year, not because – the pro days are bad, but hey, the combine's all televised, which is amazing. Um, you know, and then we can we can we don't have to wait around to see what other guys are doing on their pro days because this whole pro day's been like it's like an entire month and a half. I think the first one we had was March fifth, and the last one we're gonna have is April 9th, and that only leaves 20 days after the last one until the draft. Like I like my combine, everybody's in and out within a week. We get to speculate for the next you know, month, month and a half, of whose stock was dropped and, and whose stock risen. Instead, we've got to just spread this out. I guess the way they do it now, the way they're doing it this year, gives us a, enough content to talk about week by week by week. But I, I gotta say, man, I miss, I miss
1: watching the combine. Yeah, for sure. And as much as we want to say these times and weights and everything's official, which I believe. For the most part, they're all pretty official, but yeah. at least we have one consolidated area. We have everybody there at one time, and it is official, in my opinion. I, I this is just Brandon Pastel speaking, but I think some of these times might be a little overinflated. It just seems like there tends to be a there was a lot more four three 40s this year. Um, yeah, whether that's true or not, it, it might be. I mean, athletes are training different these days, but you have those question marks. You don't have those question marks if you have a combine. In Indianapolis, so I'm with you yeah. on that. I hope next year there is a combine. Hope we can go to it. So, yes, man, that's Indianapolis
0: is a great town. I think I'm on record of saying that a bunch, but yeah, I'm excited. Well, look, the path to the draft is in full effect. Like I said, we are T minus a month and two days, and and make sure you continue to check in with Prospects One Hundred One. Make sure you're subscribing to. Any, any podcast platform you, you subscribe to, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Pods, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're on it. Make sure you're giving us five star reviews because we are going to be your ultimate source for path to the draft prospect information. And who knows, maybe we'll I know we're kind of talking behind the scenes and maybe setting up some exclusive streaming or something like that during the night of the draft. I know myself, Pastel. Glass and our former co-host Riley are all chatting behind the scenes about getting together. So maybe we'll do something special for our fans, or we'll do some live Q&As, whatever. But make sure you pay attention to us on all of our social media accounts at Prospects101Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For Brandon Pastel, I'm Kenny Keller. Everybody have a great week.